Stage Door Sessions by Broadway Direct. In this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with Broadway's brightest, bringing you what's new, what's noteworthy, and what is coming next to a stage near you. I'm your host, Elisa Gardner, and this spring we'll be speaking with some of the artists whose talents are standing out at a very busy time in a very busy Broadway season. Before our conversations with each week's guest, this season we'll be kicking off every episode with a look at what's new on Broadway each week with Broadway Direct's own Paul Art Smith. Paul, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Another week. How are you? Good, good, good. Heavy into uh, awards season, really in the thick of it now. Yeah, yeah. That sort of leads right into our first, you know, topic of the week. With the ongoing writer's strike, the Tony Awards ceremony was called into question, but due to some alterations made by the Broadway League and American Theatre Wing to the upcoming CBS broadcast, the WGA has agreed to not picket the event. So this clears the path for a ceremony to take place as scheduled, but exact details have yet to be revealed. You know, it's sort of like speculated mm-hmm. that's going to be unscripted did, which has actually happened in the past during, I believe, the 1988 Tony Awards, which was the big year of Phantom of the Opera and Into the Woods. That was unscripted because of another writer's strike. So it isn't something completely uncommon, but I'm glad there was some common ground found and that the ceremony can take place on June 11th as scheduled. Um, yes, I don't, I don't think there's anything solid yet reported about exactly what the structure of the show is going to be, but I, I have heard that it will be on unscripted as well. And, you know, you're dealing with uh, extremely talented actors who are schools in improvisation, <laughs> should that happen. <laughs> but well, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. I, they're just, yeah, yeah. you know, phenomenally talented people involved and um, they'll be able to entertain regardless. And, and clearly the WGA uh, wanted to be in solidarity with the writers uh, mm-hmm. and all the artists on Broadway who, you know, not only the writers, but the actors, I'm sure certain crew members, directors, they, all of these creatives you work uh, for television and film as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. they want to they support each other and, yeah. and that stands to reason. Yeah, and I'm glad that, you know, Broadway will get to have this national stage moment on TV, which only happens in June every year at the Tonys. So I'm glad that they'll still be able to proceed with that. Yeah, that's a huge, can be a huge boost, not just for mm. winners, but for everybody who's visible there, Definitely. just for Broadway in general. Definitely. So that's uh, that's a good thing to uh, know we can still count yeah. on this year. Yeah, and some exciting news from the West End. There will be a new revival of Sunset Boulevard starring Nicole Scherzinger, and it will be directed by Jamie Lloyd, who is currently represented on Broadway with this production of A Doll's House. Mm-hmm. I think this will be a really exciting production. Jamie Lloyd is one of my favorite directors working today. I love his productions of Betrayal and Cyrano, which was off-Broadway at BAM. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm yeah. excited to see what he does. I haven't never seen a musical from him. I know he did Assassins also in London uh, quite a few yes. years back, but it'll be exciting to see this. And I hope to maybe one day it'll make its way over here. Yeah, yeah. A very different um, musical, uh, Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. than Assassins, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> Jamie Lloyd is known for kind of his stark minimalism. Um, and uh, that's not a quality I necessarily associate with Andrew Lloyd Webber, but it'll be interesting to see if you have Norma sort of like all in black and her house is just like a box or something. (laughs) I don't know, but he does tremendous work. Um, uh, and, and all, not all of his work is, is the same. I mean, I, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, there were very different elements to Cyrano, which I absolutely loved in a way it was more of a flamboyant, 
production, certainly than the adult house that we are seeing on Broadway now that's up for a few Tony Awards. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it should be, and it's nice for Andrew Lloyd Webber, who has had some, you know, less fortunate news in in recent months uh, that this is coming up for him. I'm sure he's excited about it. And I'm sure fans of the musical and of, of his work are excited about it. Definitely. And it serves as a reunion for him and Nicole Scherzinger, who played Grizabella in the Cats revival over there. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So they, they have that. a bit of a I working totally relationship. And yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see her take on this, you know, iconic role. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And with the Tony Awards looming, like it's got me feeling very reflective about this past year. Um, so I was wondering mm. for you, what are some highlights of this past season? Is there like, you know, a show you want to shout out, a performance? There was a lot. I mean, uh, looking at the Tony Award nominations, um, I, you know, I was really struck by how great the original plays were mm-hmm. and how many interesting musical revivals there were, which is not to say that there weren't also, you know, some terrific play revivals and original mm-hmm. musicals. But those categories, I think, uh, musical revival and original play are going to be very, very competitive. You know, as we mentioned last week, there are three Pulitzer winners in the best play category. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm a Tony voter and I'm like already just like banging my head against the wall thinking, oh my God, which one am I going to pick? Because uh, they're all they're all great. Um, and, uh, you know, Leopold Stadt was phenomenal, which is not one of, that's one of the ones that is not a Pulitzer winner <laughs> written by Tom Stoffert, obviously. And um, we had a lot of great stuff. And, and the musical revivals, you have Parade, you have Sweeney Todd, you have uh, obviously Into the Woods, which was, you know, last year during the summer. So the question is going to be, can it sort of pull that trick that Hamilton did years ago? where, you know, Hamilton debuted uh, almost, I think it premiered almost a year before the Tony's ceremony um, and still managed right. to uh, to win all those awards. I don't think it's going to be a glut the way it was with Hamilton because there are so many good shows. It's, I, I don't think it's like one show was dominant this year. But. Definitely. Yeah, I know. As we said, I think in other episodes as well, that it is a packed year for revivals and musicals. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think original musicals, you know, there's also some great ones there. Shuck, Some Like It Hot, which, you know, Some Like It Hot leads with the most nominations. But definitely I think the show I shout out is Kimberly Akimbo, which was just, you know, from, from Atlantic Theater Company off Broadway to Broadway, you know, it's been a favorite ever since. And I'm glad to see it getting recognized, you know, with some great performances as well. Of course, led by Victoria Clark. That was definitely, you know, a bright spot in a very bright season. Yeah. And Atlantic also nurtured uh, before that Spring Awakening. I don't think that's where it it, uh, debuted that that show, but it it was certainly developed and nurtured there. So they have a, a... a pretty good track record. Yeah, with the musicals. band's visit as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah I, I loved Kimberly Akimbo as well. And, um, you know, I'm hoping it's going to get some recognition. I think in the acting categories, you know, Victoria Clark, I'm thinking just that was such an astonishing, unique performance. Um, mm-hmm. But again, as in all fields, there is a lot of competition. So it'll be yeah. uh, interesting and exciting. A lot of worthy competition for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of looking on to the next season as well. We've already began performances on Broadway with Grey House starting and Once Upon a One More Time. Is there anything in this next season that you're really looking forward to? Oh, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, right now I'm kind of focusing on on off-Broadway, um, you know, with mm. Days of Wine and Roses. I'm going to see soon with Kelly O'Hara and Brian Darcy James, score by Adam Gettle, which is 
something I've, I've been waiting for for a long time along with yes. everyone else. Yeah, um, I actually caught a yes. preview of it. And yeah, we'll oh. talk more later. But yes, you're in for cool. something special. Oh, cool. Cool. I want to hear <laughs> more about it. And uh, on Broadway, actually, it's not as if uh, Broadway is going to sleep for the next couple mm-hmm. months. We've got, um, I'm going to be seeing Grey House tonight. And uh, after that, we've got Once Upon a One More Time, Here Lies Love, which I cannot wait for, having seen it at the public. Definitely. And, um, and I spoke with Alex Timbers recently, so you'll be able to read about <laughs> that very, very soon. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff coming up. And then the fall is already super busy it seems like yeah. we've got the merrily transfer and yeah yeah and a new sondheim show is that is that on or off broadway the sondheim the new sondheim, the sondheim show, show yes forgetting. that's gonna be off broadway yeah. at the shed that's i believe right. so that will be definitely uh-huh. on all of our radars yeah, yeah absolutely i'm really excited for merrily i did get to see it off broadway and absolutely loved it but i can't wait to see it you know in this broadway form and just this Past week, Jonathan Groff and Lindsay Mendez won the Outer Critics Circle Awards, I believe, for their performances. That's right. And totally earned. I think this is such a great performance, especially from Jonathan Groff. I hope to, you know, see that recognition continue on in this next season. I agree. I agree. And for this week on Broadway Direct, we have a full in-depth piece taking a look at this year's Tony Award nominees written by Elisa herself. And there's also lots of exclusive Tony content on the site, such as interviews with some of the nominees from Parade and Shucked, and a new piece with Tony Award nominee Justin Cooley of Kimberly Akimbo. As always, you can head to Broadway Direct for the latest coverage and news on Broadway, as well as across all of our social platforms at Broadway Direct. Well, thank you, Paul, as always. And uh, speaking of parade, now we are on to our conversation for Stage Door Sessions this week. Our guest today is 2023 Tony Award nominee Michael Arden, whose spectacular and devastating revival of that Alfred Urie and Jason Robert Brown musical is now playing at the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater. Michael is an accomplished performer and director who made his Broadway debut 20 years ago as Tom Sawyer in Deaf West Theater and Roundabout Theater Company's celebrated revival of Big River. He next starred in Twyla Tharp's Bob Dylan tribute, The Times They Are a Changin', and has continued acting frequently on stage and screen, where TV fans got to know him as a regular on the popular series Anger Management. As a director, Michael has helmed high-profile regional productions, as well as widely acclaimed Broadway revivals of Once on This Island and Spring Awakening. The latter reunited him with Deaf West and also incorporated American Sign Language and premiered in Los Angeles, and he received Tony nominations for both those shows. Michael, welcome to Stage Door Sessions. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. Oh, terrific. We are as well. I have to start by saying I was really struck and quite moved by your bio in the playbill for Parade. You didn't mention any of your own substantial credits, some of which I just ran through. Instead, you say that you're honored and humbled to bring this work back to Broadway and you thank your collaborators as well as audiences. And then you dedicate the production both to Hal Prince who, of course, co-conceived and originally directed Parade. And you dedicated to, as you write, the countless souls whose lives have been cut short at the hands of anti-Semitism, white supremacy, injustice, bias, and hate, all of which obviously figure heavily into this musical, which is based on a real-life tragedy, the story of a Jewish man who was executed more than 100 years ago in Georgia. Maybe we can start by 
you know, briefly describing that tragedy for people who may be not familiar with the show and how its depiction in the show inspired you to want to revisit this work. Yeah. So Leo Frank uh, was a man who lived uh, New York, Brooklyn born, a Jewish man who moved to Atlanta, uh, married a, a woman named Lucille Selig. And they lived in Atlanta and he worked as a superintendent of the National Pencil Company there in Atlanta. And in 1913 was accused of the murder of a young 13-year-old girl named Mary Fagan. And uh, a trial ensued and it became quite a a circus, a bit of a political circus. And certainly uh, um, many aspects of the trial were mishandled. And he was ultimately found guilty. But then his case was later reopened by the governor, Governor John Slayton. And a lot more information came out and sort of it became clear that the trial had not been a fair trial. And he was ultimately his sentence of of hanging was was sort of removed by the governor, uh, and he was he was changed to life in prison. And then in 1915, a group of men broke into his jail cell and subsequently took him to Marietta, where the Mary Fagan was from, and hanged him, lynched him. In a in a tree there, and so he uh, he was put to death not at the hands of the justice system, but at the hands of some vigilantes who called themselves the Knights of Mary Fagan. And this group actually um, they became the second incarnation of the KKK. It had sort of been non-existent um, mm-hmm. at that point, but these are the men, and m- many of them notable figures in the community who were photographed at the site. And uh, very proud of what they had done, sort of led and the charge of the rise of the of the KKK in the South post Civil War. So it's an incredibly fascinating true crime story that kind of I think really shows a sheds a sheds light on and holds a mirror up to so much of the you know this complex American traumatic problem that this you know the fallout of the Civil War that's that we're still feeling the reverberation of. Yeah, very much so. In fact, you and your colleagues got a stark reminder of that at the uh, first preview of Parade, uh, that the kind of hate you're documenting is not just past history. Uh, there was a group, including neo-Nazis, that showed up to protest the production. Um, I don't want to dwell on that awful event too much, but I wonder, was it ironically, I don't want to say reaffirming, but in a sense in that it demonstrated just how much works like this are still needed right now? Well, I I think, I I feel that if you're doing work that the neo-Nazis are protesting, you're probably doing the right work. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, It was, it was certainly, you you know, we get so caught up in in light cues and costume changes and, and the tech of the show. And, you know, there we were, careening toward first preview, which if all of your listeners who have ever been in any show probably have have known that moment. And the last thing we sort of expected in that moment was for our audiences and our cast as they entered the building to be met with such hate and, mm. and anti-Semitism and, and white supremacy. And so it certainly was a reminder that, oh yeah, this is, people are still fighting this fight. Um, including us, including us on the other side of it, you know, mm-hmm. our, our art is our protest in a way. And so 
it felt interesting and was such a good reminder that, oh, what we are doing is a form of elevation of a story that needs to be told so that we might not repeat our own mistakes. But also it reminded us, me, that, that what we do as artists is, can be and often is a protest as well. Yeah, very good point. Um, well, before this was on Broadway, this production of Parade so, sort of started off at the Encore Concert Series at New York City Center, which does a lot of great work that sometimes transfers to Broadway. Um, I did not get to see it there, but from what I heard, the staging was fundamentally the same or similar, but the design was expanded a bit to include more things like projections and video. It seemed to include a lot of archival material that made the references to these people who lived more than a century ago feel very real, while also lending such drama and theatricality to the piece. So maybe tell me a bit about how the production evolved in that sense with, with your working with the designers to do that. Well, I would say, you know, this, the central thrust, no pun intended, of our, mm-hmm. of our design and, and how we wanted to present this show has been maintained from our brief time at City Center. Um, my first vision for this, along with Dane Laffrey, my scenic designer, was that we wanted to sort of look at the events of this play as evidence, as, you know, as evidence of a trial to put the jury in place of the audience and the audience in place of the jury a little bit. So uh, the play, most of the play and the action of the play takes place on a small raised platform, which is very reminiscent of a gallow. It's reminiscent mm-hmm. of a, a politician's stoop. It's uh, and also of a sort of operating theater, if you will. So uh, I wanted the audience to be constantly reminded that these people lived these, the, even though we're telling a dramatic version, retelling of the story that all these people lived and breathed. And I wanted to use imagery of the places of the evidence of at times, even some of the trial evidence uh, and photography from both the period, as well as specifics of uh, from the case throughout. So that at times we're constantly reminded that, you know, if this did happen once it might, might happen again. Yeah. Um, well, you're a child of the South yourself. Is that right? I believe you grew up in... I'm a Texan. I was born yes. in Midland, Texas. That's right. And uh, you're gay as well. You're, you're, um, you're out as gay. And there's... I am now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you imagine? No, I, yes. <laughs> wow, you really caught me off guard there. Um, <laughs> the reason I, I... Homophobia is not addressed specifically in this in this show, but, but, you know, obviously bigotry and intolerance are. And there's obviously homophobia everywhere, and it was even worse in the 90s when you were a teenager. But if you don't mind addressing this a little bit, and I don't know, you know, exactly when or how you came out or how specifically that shaped your coming of age. But did any experiences you had with intolerance growing up in the South inform your work on the show? Interesting. Um, you know, growing up in Texas as a closeted, as a, you know, a, a young person so growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, you know, I, I certainly then knew what it felt like to be a bit of an outsider. I mean, I, I certainly didn't feel like I fit in. And and interestingly enough, I sort of feel like uh, I understand where Leo is coming from. And in some ways, Lucille in this play at the top of the play, I certainly don't know what it's like to be through a murder trial. Um, I can I can only imagine that. But, uh, you know, I, I remember the 
this sort of tug of war within myself of wanting to both disappear and to maintain my sense of self, you know, to sort of assimilate and to, to stand alone. And I think in Parade, we certainly see these characters do that. You have Lucille, who's trying desperately at the beginning of the play to, to blend in, to fit in, to be a Southerner, you know, to, to kind of put her Jewishness in a drawer. And you have have Leo who feels like a complete outsider and he doesn't fit in. So both of those things, I think I've, I've felt at certain times growing up. Um, It's interesting that you, you mentioned that I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but I think that that tug of war of, of, of feeling both an, an outsider and feeling like you're, you're hiding as well, I think are both prominent things in this play. Yeah, that's very, very certainly resonant with um, with Lucille uh, in particular. Um, something I've noticed about your productions, you use the word elevation before in regard to art, and your work deals with really heavy subject matter often, like bigotry and oppression, but does so in a way that's always grandly entertaining. Um, there's this sort of Thank transporting theatricality. Is that balance something you aim for? Or maybe it's less a matter of balance than, I don't know, um, complimenting each other yeah i I, I want the audience to have an incredible time to be surprised to be excited to be thrilled to have rules made for them and laid out in front of them and then broken to to give people an exciting evening of the theater i think you know the spoonful of sugar certainly does help the medicine go down Mm -hmm. i am as you said i think i I, for better or worse i am attracted to kind of difficult things sometimes whether they be difficult from a sort of technical standpoint or difficult from an emotional and psychological standpoint that interests me i think if we can we can give audiences that sense of awe joy and wonder that that you know a big musical or big play can give you. And then we can also examine our own traumas and and begin to parse through the reasons why we hurt each other and how we can love each other better. I think if if we can hold those two things in either hand, then that is theater at its most powerful and hopefully at its most, you know, it's it's most useful. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. Uh, For this production of Parade, we should certainly mention it stars Ben Platt, uh, Tony Award winner for Dear Evan Hansen and a very well-known actor. He plays Leo and Michaela Diamond, who's perhaps less widely known, but certainly a rising star, plays his wife, Lucille. They both fit the role so ideally. They're so convincing and engaging as this young couple going through this unimaginable horror and kind of dealing with their own issues and and in their in their still young marriage. Tell us a bit about the casting process. Had you thought of Ben or of both of them for that matter early on? Yeah, well, I had known Ben and worked with him for a long time. We actually <laughs> did a performance together when he was very young. Uh, we we I first got to hear him sing, and I was like, wow, this yeah. this kid's going places. And lo and behold, he did. So it's a thrill to get to work with him. And this was something that he had been wanting to do and I had been wanting to do. And we kind of realized our common love for it and said, I, well, why don't we do this together? And luckily, I, Jason thought it was a good idea and, and Alfred. Uh, and then Michaela Diamond, I really want to credit um, Jim Carnahan, who is a fabulous casting director, who gave me my first Broadway show, Big River. Uh, mm-hmm. We had done a reading a few years ago, and it was important to me that both Leo and Lucille be 
Jewish persons and uh, the, the actors be because I, I wanted to bring that authenticity in casting and be able to let Jewish artists be able to play Jewish roles, which believe it or not, has not ever happened in a major production of Parade until this one. So that was kind of the only prerequisite that it'd be someone incredible and hopefully someone Jewish. And um, Jim Carnahan said, you need to see the share show. And I got a ticket and went to go see it and saw Michaela Diamond playing young share, baby share. And, you know, I was trying to imagine Lucille through under the share wig. <laughs> but she was just, I mean, she was just so present and alive and the, her voice is stunning and, and honest. And, um, I was taken with her from the moment I saw her on stage and asked her to do this reading and she and Ben met and promptly fell in love. And, uh, the rest is history. And she was, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to get to, to now, um, I get to go see her in the show tonight. Uh, oh. but she's, She's, she's really special. And, and Ben, and Ben, I mean, is, uh, I, I feel so blessed to be working with him, not only as, you know, actor director, but just, just to get to watch him lead a company and do so with such grace and such honesty. And just the two of them, I, I, I feel spoiled. I, I, I shudder to, to walk into another rehearsal room without the two of them. I've just fallen <laughs> so deeply in love with both of them on stage and off. Yeah. And their singing voices really are so compatible. They have this similar kind of shivering, shimmering. Wild. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. It's uh, the I noticed that right off. Yeah. How involved were Alfred Urie and Jason Robert Brown in the production? I know that, that Mr. Urie is well into his 80s, I would imagine now. Well, I will so. say that Mr. Urie was incredible throughout the process. And mm-hmm. I, we, we did, he did rewriting. Uh, he wrote new scenes in the show. The score for the most part, I would say almost stayed the same with the exception of like a bar or two of music here when, you know, we couldn't get the, get the set changed in time or, or something that uh, Jason made some small adjustments. Um, but the score stayed intact and, and Alfred really did. He was open to any idea. He was with us all the time throughout the rehearsal process. He was so happy to be there and we were so, so happy to have him. And I mean, what, what a legend to have in the room and, still looking to tell this story more clearly, you know, with, with more rigor and vigor. And, uh, he was, he's, I mean, he was, he'll he'll probably, you know, if, if, if we get to do another production of this, I'm sure he'll still want to get in and fiddle with it. And I'm, I'm so thankful that he let me, you know, wrestle some scenes apart and we made some changes for even from city center to Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's uh, and still sharp as attack. I'm sure. Absolutely. And funny. He can write a joke um, better than anybody. Yeah. And you need an occasional joke in a show like this. Well, before we wrap up, I want to get back for just a minute to the larger social significance of Parade. Not that we've ever really gotten away from that, but it just looms so large. And something I very much took away in seeing the musical right now is that it shows us how different groups of oppressed people can be turned against each other. Um, In this case, uh, the Black townspeople and the Jewish townspeople is something I noticed. Uh, In sustaining an established power structure by essentially, you know, keeping both groups down. And that really resonated for me right now because inequality and inequity and racism and anti-Semitism are just so present as topics of discussion um, and problems, just problems. So did did that particular dynamic, was, was that something you thought about? Yeah. I mean, everyone 
ultimately is a victim to white supremacy in this piece, you know, and, and groups are pitted against each other because when you, the fallacy of scarcity and comes into play, it's easy to pit victims against one another because it feels like there might be some retribution in that process because the the greater evil is, you know, uh, almost too too great to combat. And so mm-hmm. you you see that in parade, and I think we see that in the world today. Certainly, you know, it's sort of like the I, I think minorities are pitted against each other at times because, uh, and and oftentimes it's easier to fall into the, those those traps and patterns because the greater evil seems just insurmountable, you know. Yeah. Uh, so infighting occurs and actually we lose track of the big problem, uh, of the overall evil because it kind of disappears in a way we, yeah. we stop seeing it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting you, you bring that up because you do see that in parade, how, you know, parade is a group of people who were all victims in a way. Like there, there's no hero. There's no, there's no no one wins in this play. It's mm. everyone is sorting through a systematic trauma that that was brought into the world a long time before the first chords of the play begin. Yeah, that's very and, true. And um, and it's how they manage to find hope and the love within all of that that I think is where the light of parade exists and and um that that was an interesting and difficult uh but very rewarding thing to chase in, in oh yeah lives. and you do have it you do find that light that transcendence and and you really need that on a very visceral level by the end of the show um well just to wrap up I'm I'm sure along those lines you've gotten some very powerful feedback from audience members coming from all different backgrounds and experiences. Uh, is there any one or two that you could think of that you found especially meaningful or, or even enlightening? Yeah, a, a friend of mine's husband um, came to see the play and they said, you know, I, I knew Parade. I grew up listening to the cast album and, and was very excited to see it. But the thing I didn't expect was to, during the play and while watching it, be reminded that I am ashamed of my own Jewishness mm. and, and I hold it and I hide it and I do those things like Lucille does. I try to fit in or I stand alone and feel like I'm, I am on the outside. Um, but it really made him question why he did that. And in the end made him feel a sense of pride and he felt less alone after he, after he left the play. And I just, I found that so moving um, because ultimately that's why we go to the theater. We, we go to the theater to be, to be reminded that we are not alone. And in that moment and with his faith, he found a, a pride in that and ultimately community in that. And, uh, and I feel, you know, if, if that's all we did with parade, I'd, I'd feel very proud of his experience. Hmm. Well, that's, Lovely. And that really resonates with me as a, a thoroughly secular Jew <laughs> who has a long, you know, history as as most Jews do of, you know, can trace things that my ancestors went through. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, and, and it's certainly uh, the whole production resonated with me on, on that level as well. I, I could say exactly the same thing. So 
Thank you again so much for taking the time out to join us. And I would urge everyone who has not seen Parade to try and get a ticket for this show. Well, I, I hope everybody comes to see it. There's not only some incredible performances, uh, this company, how they work together as an ensemble is truly just spectacular. And I'm so proud of each and every one of them. But also, I think it's a, it's a, uh, a musical that, that, um, that everyone should see and hear. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And to find those tickets and for all things Broadway, you can visit broadwaydirect.com. If you liked our show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And don't forget to share and rate Stage Door Sessions so that other theater fans can find us too. This podcast is produced by Broadway Direct and the Nederlander Organization with Iris Chan, Aaron Provosnik-Wagner, and Paul Art Smith, and hosted and produced by me, Elisa Gardner. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again on Broadway.